Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. I am your hostess, Cynthia, and our co-hostess, Melissa, will be joining us shortly. Um, here at Mama's Pearls, we like to say that we take the most beautiful pieces of life and string them together. And when you're looking at your family, what's more beautiful than that? And the various stages that we go in and grow with our family are each one of the little pearls that we're stringing together. At least that's my theory this week. Next week, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll have a different take on Mama's Pearls and our tagline. But for me, the core of Mama's Pearls is really found in my family and in the generational wisdom that I've learned from my family. I mean, I started Mama's Pearls right when my my grandparents passed away as a way to remember and pass down their wisdom. And then I was looking at my two kids who are growing by leaps and bounds, and I really wanted to capture the moments with them and the things that I was thinking and feeling and processing and when I was talking to my friends that they were going through also to really capture that and put it out there in a larger way to remind you if you're a busy working parent like I am or just a parent, excuse me, that you're not alone in this and we will figure it out and sift through and sort and process and explore it together. Um, basically, we start the week on Facebook, and I always include, like, discussions and thoughts and quotes about the topics that we're going to be exploring for the given week, or um, lately I've been kind of doing monthly themes. Last month was obviously all about summer, and I can't believe that today is September 1st, and we're officially heading into fall and back to school. So, obviously, the natural theme and flow and new string of pearls that we're going to be focusing on this month is back to school, is the educational system, and and basically to walk through that entire process. And I really want to bring about and focus on different perspectives on not just education, which a lot of people, when they think of education, they just think of militant school systems. We're going to be talking about the school systems, but I really want to explore, like, the many different ways that we are constantly educated. I've said it before in Mama's Pearls that I always feel like a perpetual student, and I am probably one of the biggest nerds that you you will meet. I love learning. Um, It's part of the reason why I went to law school when I was in college and I was getting ready to finish. I just... There was just no way that I learned all that I needed to know, and I wanted more, which is why I went went to law school. And I'm constantly researching and doing the this Mama's Pearls radio show has given me another another justification for 
to continue that on and, and share my knowledge. So this is kind of like my, my weekly classroom, my classroom setting. So we start on Facebook. On Tuesdays, I publish the Mama's Pearls blog, which can be found at www.mamaspearls.com, M-O-M-M-A-S-P-E-A-R-L-S.com. Then we have the show on Wednesdays, like you're listening to now, and then we close out the week, which is always kind of a cliffhanger, with my best friend Melissa Goldberg's blog, M Gems, which is also published on Mama's Pearls. So Melissa is the practical side of Mama's Pearls, and I'm the more spiritual side. And it was kind of perfect leading up to this week. And Melissa and I are always learning about how we balance each other out and we're always find ourselves on the same page, but on like opposite ends of the same page. And this week was no exception. But before we get really into this week, which is called Key Brain and kicking off our back to school month, I just wanted to recap a few things about um, last month and last week's show. Because one thing happened post show, which was really just kind of hilarious. And last month we were focusing all about the summer and exploration and traveling and feasting and lightening up our palates and we just had a great summer here on Mama's Falls. And last week as we are transitioning into back to school and as we come off of our recreational bits from sitting in crowded movie theaters and being with our friends and being outdoors and we have sniffles and we had coughs. Obviously, before you go back to school, you have to go to the doctor and get your physicals. So we had um, my children's pediatrician, who was coincidentally and parenthetically also my husband's pediatrician back in the day. And um, so Dr. Arnie was on the show last week, and we just had a very fascinating and basic conversation. I mean, when we hung up the when we hung up and finished the, the show, I called him and he was like, well, we didn't get into anything controversial because usually when I go into his office, you know, I ask him all the hard questions about the vaccines and developmental disorders and Eastern versus Western medic, medications and, and belief systems. And, you know, last week, it's at least for our first quote, health show or child care show that that we did and wanted to really explore the basics, the, the everyday things that we need to know and, and be on guard for. And um, last week's show was called Dr. Mom, and I really suggest that everybody go back into the archives and listen to Dr. Mom. And just a reminder, because I, I ran into a few people this week that didn't realize that you can listen to the show at any time. You can listen to any of the shows at any time. So if you're listening now, live and you don't think you can listen to it last week, you can't. Just go to Black Talk Radio, go fish through the archives, pick a show that sounds of interest to you, and enjoy. So when I was talking with, with Dr. Arnie, it, you know, the first thing that you realize is, like, your kids are going to get sick, and the best thing that you can do is just kind of roll with it and, and handle it as best you can and not freak out. Um, there are times when freaking out is absolutely warranted, but the best Thing to do is arm yourself with as much information. And Melissa's M's Gems last week was, was such an amazing practical guide for like a step-by-step thing of what you can do to prepare yourself when you walk into the doctor's office. Um, because like Dr. Arnie was saying that taking care of your children and our children is takes teamwork. 
It's a group effort. It's a team effort. We need to share as much information and be as honest as possible with our healthcare professionals so we can make as accurate of an assessment and diagnosis as possible. And, um, and to help you do that, you know, it would help just having some prep work in mind about, um, about what information might be helpful to a doctor. So Melissa really covered that amazingly on her MSHEMS last week. And, and I think the, the biggest takeaway, at least, that I got from Melissa's MSHEMS was to always trust your gut. And the mother's instinct usually kicks in tenfold with your, with your kids. And, you know, I can tell now by, by touching my kid's forehead, like, exactly what they're, they're running fever-wise better than any thermometer could ever do um, because I know my kids by now so, so well. And I think you cannot underestimate your, your gut instinct. If you're going to a doctor and you know something's, something's wrong with your kid, he seems off, you're with him 24 hours a day, um, and the doctor is not seeing it or anything, you know, keep, keep kind of fishing until, you know, you hit on what, what is going on. Sometimes there is no medical reason, um, but oftentimes your instinct will prove correct. So that was last week's show, Doctor's Mom. The pro of the week was House Calls Are Us. And, again, when we um, talk about health care, it all really starts at the beginning. Now, if you want to chat with us today on air, feel free to call in. Our special guest is going to be Dr. Alan Galinsky, and the call-in number is 347-327-9450. So it all really starts back at the beginning, and when I was thinking about the back-to-school month and setting up for the theme, it really took me back to being in the doctor's office for the first time when I found out that I was pregnant and I was going for my first sonogram, and I looked over at the screen, and on the little camera (laughs) and screen was this little dot that was no, no bigger than a P, and I was like, what? That's my baby. Are you kidding me? And I think every parent experiences that moment of just complete disbelief, utter awe, and humility when you see that little P on the screen and you get your little sonogram picture and go around saying, like, hey, this is my baby. Isn't he cute? And you just wonder, like, how is how in the world is this little P going to evolve and turn into a baby. And from that moment on, you're pretty much you're pretty much hooked into and that's where I remember like going out and getting as many books as I can and really trying to to read up and be as schooled as I can um, about what was going to be happening with my baby and what I needed to do to prepare. I mean I knew pregnancy wise, as far as eating and dieting and exercising and sleeping I wasn't physically going out and constructing a baby. My body was going to be just doing it on automatic pilot. There was really nothing else that I needed to do. And that is truly a miraculous experience. And, like, for somebody like me who likes to know and have control of what I'm doing and all that kind of stuff was so humbling of an experience to just know that my body was going to develop a life and a baby and a child and it was going to come out from a little pea brain and be, you know, a baby with arms and legs and hopefully all its, all its bits. And um, from that moment on, your educational journey with your children 
begins and with your baby begins. And coming fresh out of the womb is, um, you know, aside from just learning how to cope with your physical exhaustion, it just begins a lifelong process and a lifelong journey where you're not only taking in the world from your own perspective and for your own needs, but now you're giving the world over and casting and reconstructing this world from literally, literally the ground up and having to deconstruct it and then rebuild it as you go with your baby and with your child and take them baby steps through their own development. That, to me, is one of the most fascinating parts of being a parent, one of the hardest parts about being a parent, one of the most humbling, surprising, and just incredible parts of, you know, ushering and holding a child's hand throughout their life. And luckily, there's there's a vast array of information and resources out there to help you at each, each phase. So when we're stepping at the beginning and we're talking about this child who's a total pea brain, and that's the, that's the topic for this week, the title of the show, as well as the blog this week. And the pearl of the week is happy homework. Now, when we're starting at the beginning and wanting to make all the right choices, you know, figuring out who to listen to and, and how to um, work with your baby, and every child is different, and every child you know, has a different way that they're going to learn and adapt. But just remembering back to the, the way, way beginning phase, the newborn phase, and then through, through the first year and just watching each developmental piece was so miraculous to me. And I really wanted to start at the beginning of our back-to-school month and talk to somebody who I met probably about a month ago. She was doing a, a lecture at... Um, Columbia University about her new book, Mind in the Making, and she's really been on the scene, and the more I researched her, was just more fascinated that I was with the work that she was doing, which is really all about childhood development and just exactly how our minds are made. And Ms. Ellen Galinsky is our special guest for this for this week, and she is the president and co-founder of Family Families and Work Institute. She's helped establish the field of work and family life at Bank Street College of Education, and she's been on the faculty there for 25 years. She has more than 40 books and reports out, okay, including the book that we're going to be talking about today, which is Mind in the Making, the Seven Essential Life Skills that Every Child Needs. Her other books are Ask the Children and also what has become the now classic, The Six Stages of Parenthood. So there's really no other perfect person to help guide us through, and I must admit that in preparing for this week, it kind of took me back to my schoolgirl phase because I wanted to be as prepared as possible and, and do our homework because I'm really actually very humbled and honored that, that Ellen is with us today. And Ellen, I hope you're with us, and I'm very happy to introduce you to the Mama's Pearls community. My pleasure. Ah, welcome. Thank you. It's now, wonderful like to I be said. with you. I've enjoyed what you do so much, and I've enjoyed all um, your blogs and, and the wonderful radio shows, and I've been tweeting about how people can call in. Oh, thank you so much, I, and, I, and I hope that they do. It, it's always, it always brings an added dimension, and I love, and both Melissa and I love really getting feedback about the shows and the blogs. It just really helps us 
when we're doing our weekly brainwashing sessions. It really helps us strategize um, how to put forth the information. So, you know, anybody out there can email either Melissa or I at Cynthia at MamasPearls.com and Melissa at MamasPearls.com. And, um, and just so people out there know where to find you, your website is um, mindinthemaking.org. And you can also do a search, obviously, for her book, and um, which my my daughter now calls the marshmallow book because we have the marshmallow bond time, which we'll talk uh-huh. in a minute. And my daughter's too, so she's naturally obsessed with your with your book because it's the marshmallow book. <laughs> it looks delicious. Okay, <laughs> it really does look delicious. Okay, so I want to I want to introduce people a little bit more to you. So if you can take a couple of minutes and just give us a little bit more of your extensive background, but mainly like. Why did you go into this field, and what's really your your passion? I went into the field of of children's development and then work in family life because I've always been an adventurer who follows her questions, and I, I take the questions that emerge in my own life and the lives of people I know and try to find answers through research. So um, I wanted to understand kids better. That's why I went to Bank Street College, which was such a, a wonderful place for with people who were interested not only in how kids grow and learn and develop, but how we can teach and take care of them in better ways. And then um, I was there for 25 years, including teaching, including starting an early childhood program, including developing a lot of materials. And finally, uh, through a series of books that I had done, I began to hear the same stories from parents. I did uh, a book for parents on exemplary child care. I did another book for parents that you mentioned, Cynthia, on how parents grow and change. Uh, and I did another book on the preschool years, and, and all of those books, uh, I was talking to parents who felt that they had a secret, only they were struggling with managing work and family life. No one else was. I mean, whether they were an at-home parent or, or an employed parent, uh, the way we live and work today uh, is different, and people were struggling with it, but thought that it was a personal or private issue not a social issue as it is. So that led me to do one of the very first studies in the 1970s about work and family life and um, and then in 1989 to co-found the Families and Work Institute where I've been ever since. We do the largest studies on the U.S. workforce, what's happening to people's lives on and off the job, and we do, uh, we're working with communities ar- around the country to create better workplaces. But this book um really has been an incredible passion. I didn't start out to write a book. I started out with a real concern. I, we've done a series of studies, and you mentioned one of them, um, that was asked to children where, where we asked kids about how they felt about their employed mothers and fathers. We'd done a series of studies that went out and asked kids how they felt about the issues that they faced growing up, not just adults studying them and making assumptions about them, and I wanted to do one. Yeah, I know. It's it's amazing that no one had ever done that. And then I wanted to do one on kids and learning. And when I went out to start to talk to children uh, in the 6th through the 12th grade in order to figure out what questions to ask in this in this project, I found kids pretty dead on arrival when in talking about learning, that there was little, if any, fire in their eyes. They saw learning as pr- predominantly extrinsic. You you 
you've learned so that you can get a, go to school or get a job, um, be able to buy stuff and not be a bum on the street, which is a very good reason, obviously, but not the only reason. And But what concerned me more was just the lack of any interest or passion or excitement. It was pulling teeth to try to get these kids from very different communities uh, to light up about learning. And then you think about the pearls that you're your, you know, the young children uh, you were just talking about and how you can't stop them from seeing, touching, uh, wanting to explore everything. So I wanted to understand what we do to turn off kids. We don't, you don't have to drop out of school to drop out of learning. And I was wondering what we as a society do to turn off kids. Right. That's what led me to the book. And then um, I had the opportunity over the past, and it's now almost a decade, to go into the labs to film some of the best research from neuroscience and from other disciplines on how kids learn best. And I began to see uh, something that almost no one else has ever had the chance to see. Very few people have the chance to spend such in-depth time uh, looking at the best research on kids and their development. And I began to see that there are a certain set of skills that emerge in children but that need to be promoted. And these skills really make an incredible difference in which children thrive socially, thrive emotionally, thrive intellectually, both now at whatever age they are and then in the future. There there was some just incredible research that began to tell a story. So that's what led me to write Mind in the Making. Yeah, and and I'm I'm really grateful that you did because I think that the um that the book that you wrote and the way that you wrote it and which is why I started saying about Melissa and I, like it's perfect for both types of parents. Like for me I love reading about the studies and the research, um, and kind of like the thread of the thoughts. And Melissa and I were going through the book yesterday and she's like, Okay, where are the examples? Where are the examples? And <laughs> you provide you provide a mixture of both. And for me, I'm and I'm, I'm sure it's not just for me, but it's like every parent where you're you're seeing your kid and you know like something that you're supposed to be doing and you're just not quite sure like why you're doing it or what that why is that helping him or how to approach it. And I really love how you give a lot of different ways to tackle the same issue and to tackle um, you know and to help develop every life skill that you mention and um, and the the life skills. That I love that you write it as life skills. It's not educational skills. It's not learning skills. These are the basic tools that create the, the foundation and the building blocks for everything else. So any other bits of knowledge breaks down into the skills that, that you talk about in this book. And what I like to say to parents, because in reading this, like, so many emotions were coming up for me about what I've done that has been great with my children and what I have yet to even think about and explore and where I've, like, fallen, fallen miserably. Like, Melissa and I were going through some stuff, and I was like, okay, I get a D for that, a D for that. Oh, okay, I'm oh. kind of in the B area for this. And it's really hard for parents to not feel that, that added pressure about what they're doing wrong. And, um, you know, and what I always like to say on all the shows is that it's never too late mm-hmm. to get 
you know, to get in the game, to step up to the plate, to learn something new, to try something new with your children. Like children are, are so open and and are so willing, um, at least in the early stages until you get to the point where you're saying that they that they completely do turn off and um, there are ways to keep them from turning off and yes, they might turn off to some some topics, but I find like they're they are so open and they're such sponges that um, just having an arsenal of, of different tools in your toolbox to to help them is really what this this book is about. So well, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because uh, because I really I am a parent and um, those of you who are listening carefully just heard my dog bark. Um, <laughs> also, the, <laughs> you're, you're a child parent and a pet parent, right? Exactly, and and I wrote this for the kind of book that I would like to have. That is, it's for the busy parent, which we all are. So there. There are the experiments that are written as if you're on an adventure, so you can go into the labs. There are lots of examples and stories from parents. I have parent blogs all the way through it. And there are many suggestions of what you can do. But the thing that makes me the happiest about the book is that it's a guilt-free book. It, it, it's, it really... <laughs> I mean, I hated books that made me feel like I got a D, and, and I hope that I didn't right. do that to you. Uh, I, you know, they would get thrown across the room. This is always like every day is a new day kind of a book, and it's not critical at all of what we've done. It's just here are some other suggestions of everyday fun things that you can do. It's never too late, and these are always these are free, inexpensive things that you can do to help your kids thrive. Right, and it and it really is never too late. And I believe Melissa did just jump, jump on the line. So Melissa, are you with us? I am. Sorry, I'm late. <laughs> How are you? I'm gonna. You get detention for being late. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're in a guilt-free zone right now. <laughs> Hi, Melissa. It's Ellen. Hi. How are you? And I definitely. I've been uh, going through the book, and. Uh, it's all true stuff. I can't, you know, can't I can't argue any of the information that you uh, talk about. Oh well, thank you. I'm so glad the eight and years yeah. was worth it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think it's, um, you know, just staying and stopping me in my tracks as far as, you know, because when we grow up and we're so, you know, our society still is very much entrenched in crime and punishment and laying on the guilt. And switching that habit and especially trying not to carry it on to the next generation is a lot of undoing and relearning. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, I like when you were, were saying that and, you know, thank you so much for the, for the work and the research that you're doing about exploring our American culture and where our true values are. And um, most of our educational system and the corporate world is, is all built about making a living and not making a life. Mm-hmm. And one of my main focuses is is exactly the opposite. I'm much more I'm much more I'm much more into seeing my children enjoying life um, and maximizing that. And then I fully believe, and I tell all my clients that let's focus on what you love, and the money will come. So you can you know you can make a living too. But in creating the life that our children are going to want in this world, and you lay it out right in the beginning of the book where it is a 24-7 world and it is a world where um, kids are texting and Googling and you have 
um, videos going on at the at the table or out to dinner, and we're just so constantly distracted and bombarded that filtering out all that excess stuff, which is all excess stuff that we need to learn and bringing it back home. I love how you say, like, perhaps we need to bring back good old-fashioned boredom. <laughs> bringing it, bring, you say that in a book, and I just was like, that is so so brilliant because, like, of course we need we need that time to just kind of sit with our thoughts, sit in silence, and and just be. And um, you know, starting with that perspective in terms of facing the book and looking at our children, for me, it was just so incredibly helpful to go into that from you know the guilt-free perspective. So. Can you just give us an overview of um, of the seven essential life skills, and then maybe we can dive a little bit deeper into into them? Sure. Uh, the first is focus and self-control, and that uh, is so essential in this 24-7 uh, information overload that we live in. Um, we um, need focus to be able to uh, pay attention, and we need self-control to be able to achieve uh, our goals. Um, all of the skills, I should say, I should step back and say, involve executive functions. That is, they take place in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, uh, the last part of the brain to develop and to continue to develop. And last night I was actually reading a new study that looked at this, these kinds of skills um, or abilities and how these are shapeable throughout the life course as opposed to other things that are set in life a little bit earlier by our experience and our genetics. So these are these are always uh, it really it is never too late for a 25 year old or a 45 year old. So many people have used these skills in their work, not just with their kids. Um, the next skill is perspective taking. The second skill is perspective taking, and that means um, being able to understand, um, to read, in a sense, what other people think and feel. Uh, the research calls it theory of mind because you're, you're having a theory about what's in the mind of someone else. It's a, it's an intellectual skill uh, as well as a social and emotional skill. It goes beyond empathy, but includes empathy. And uh, studies have found that uh, it's really critical for school readiness that kids who can understand what other kids expect or are saying um, and what teachers are expecting uh, can do much uh, better. It also helps in in if in literacy because if we can understand what the character is saying in a book, what their experience might have been. Um, we can understand the world's literature, um, whether we're little or big, much better. And then finally, it's very important in conflict. Um, the kids who are less likely to get into fights um, understand how other people think and feel. The third skill is communicating, and that's more than understanding language or speaking and writing, although, of course, those are essential. It's really figuring out, it's the elevator speech in corporate speak, but it's figuring out what it is you you need to say and how it's going to be heard. So it's it again involves um, being goal directed, all of the skills involve uh, pursuing goals and it involves uh, being able to have the self control not to blurt out anything and it involves understanding others' perspectives so that you can see how they might hear what you're going to say. Um, the next skill is absolutely fundamental to all knowledge. It's making connections. It's seeing what's the same and what's different in in all knowledge um, and sorting things into categories. Making unusual connections is the basis of creativity. But if you think about it, 
um, it, it's symbolic representation is part of making connections. So it's fundamental to math and to literacy and to science and to other fields. It's knowing that something can stand for something else. Um, and creativity is so important. Uh, studies are showing that creativity uh, is declining in our in our culture, and it's something that we can promote and should promote. Because in a world where people can Google for information, it's the people who can see the connections that go beyond the usual who are going to uh, be the value, you know, the the, the value added kind of people. Uh, the next skill is critical thinking. Again, so important in our information overload world, where we where we get so much information, so how do we know what's valid, what's real, uh, what's accurate? Um, but we need this kind of information to be able to guide our beliefs, our decisions, and our action. The sixth skill I call taking on challenges, I started by thinking of this as managing stress because life is stressful, period. And so I was interested in who can manage stress well. And then I moved into thinking, well, who's resilient in the face of stress? But then as the deeper I plunged into this research and into thinking about this in all of our lives, it's not just managing the things that are thrown at you, but being able to take on hard things and to learn uh, through making mistakes and trying hard things and, and really stretching yourself. And the final skill is goes back to where Cynthia and I were talking uh, that I began. It's the... Uh, being a self-directed, engaged learner. It's always having something that you care about learning that's that's important to you that goes beyond yourself. Okay, cool. All right, so there, there you have it, folks. That's it. Time's up. Seven essential skills. You're good. You're done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's all you need to know in life. Um, but, like, like well, kids absolutely that, need cool. content. I'm, I'm not saying that kids don't need content, but I think we pay so much attention to the things we're teaching kids, you know, little kids' colors, numbers, letters, their names, you know, all that stuff, critical that that kids learn content, but they also need these these life skills. Right. And it's, um, you know, I see it as being broken down to almost the, the material and then just the emotional piece and um, the social piece and, you know, going through and, and it's like if you take on a new language, and I've, and I've, in my adult years, I mean, I used to be really fluent in Spanish, and then I stopped taking Spanish in college because I realized I had, would have to take it every single day at 9 in the morning, and that just didn't fly by me. Mm-hmm. I'm not a morning person. And, um, and so I stopped taking Spanish, and then later on I wanted to re, relearn it. And I remember sitting, and I've also taken, like, beginner's class in Japanese, and I've taken beginner's classes in French. And they all start the same way, with you have to learn the alphabet. You have to learn basic questions, basic sentence structures. And, you know, the foundations of anything that you teach, any subject, they pretty much start the same way. Except when you're dealing with a child, it's not just, the um, the letters and the numbers. It's basically everything in their environment. And when you watch a baby at six months old, like particularly when they're sitting up but they can't really move around, and you watch them actually studying you and everything that you're doing, it's one of the most fascinating things because then you'll turn around in three months and they'll be into everything that they've been studying. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember, I remember watching my son and he was just like had his eye on like the remote and the TV. 
And he figured out, like, the remote control of the TV at a very early, <laughs> very early age. I'm not necessarily proud of that one, but, you know, he figured his own world. And when you're taking it into and watching what they're putting their attention on, I think the, the focus and control, taking back to the first essential life step, is so essential as far as understanding and um and really placing a new value in where we do focus our attention. And I know that um, that a lot of new thought is going into that. Um, and Jeff Gitterman, who is a friend and client and who we've had on, on our shows in the past, you know, he basically said that attention is the ultimate and the new currency. So yes, guiding, it is. Yeah, and guiding your children um, – you know, to where they're focusing their their attention and how they pay attention is, is so key. And you give a lot of examples in in your book about how to help children develop their attention. And in in other cultures, they do it. You know, they deliberately teach kids how to pay attention. But it, you can't really learn something unless you're paying attention. In fact, there was one study. Um, there were a series of studies that were. Um, followed kids over time and from the like four-year-olds to eight-year-olds and they found that being able to pay attention was one of the three predictors of who, which kids were doing the best um, over time. So so that is something that we can teach through everyday kinds of games like Simon Says or any of those games where kids have to really pay attention and follow the rules and um, think flexibly and, and often not go on automatic. So games like um, right. Simon Says, but play it so that it Simon Says does the opposite, so that you're really um, adding things that help them uh, pay attention. And I, I think that was one of the um, one of the takeaways that I really got from your book was that um, it's not just about the inhibitor controls, about being an automatic pilot versus having an intentional effort for something. Exactly. And, and we've, we've so much have developed our educational system, and I remember studying for tests, and it was really just so I can regurgitate the knowledge back. Mm-hmm. And um, and I believe Einstein... And do you remember it now? <laughs> some of it, some of it, yeah. I mean, you know, the stuff from the bar exam, I'm surprised what, what comes flying out of me. Um <laughs> Because that was just so intensive of studying, but but I mean, you know, math and geometry and and that kind of stuff, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was all regurgitated. But but for me, it was something that I had to pay extra attention and focus on even that much more to learn because it didn't math didn't come to me easily. So mm-hmm. even though I had to spend that much more time on it, you know, I'm kind of interested to see when my kids get to that if I do remember any of it. Yeah. Uh, that's you a real know. test when we're doing our homework with our kids. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, my, my, my dad, I remember doing my history homework with my dad because my dad was such a history buff. And I would just watch him light up, just going on and telling me all the background and the stories. And he really enjoyed taking the different perspectives um, of, you know, anyone in history and especially in any of the battles. So it's really, it's really interesting as, as a child to see also and learn the perspective of your parents and what they focus on. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the things I always talk about on the show is having to kind of untangle yourself from, from your parents 
and and re-burn and get in, get in connection with how you really burn and how you see the see the world like unfiltered from your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just tying back, I mean, Albert Einstein said said that education really begins after your your learning ends. It's, it's, it's something like that. Education is what remains after one has forgotten what one has learned in school. Uh huh. So it's like, what what is the sole purpose of school in that sense? I mean, is it really just to, to work on these essential life skills, or is it about the knowledge? Because our kids today, and I think why you why you're seeing a lot of the the fire in the eyes being dimmed is because you go into school and you have this expectation that you just need to regurgitate the knowledge, and that is what it's all about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I think that schools aren't paying enough attention to promoting these uh, life skills, and I've been so pleased um, at the response of the book uh, by educators. I know that um, the National Association for the Education of Young Children has bought the book to give to every one of its comprehensive members, and I was asked to go speak to uh, all of the heads of the state departments of education who focus on on uh, younger children. So the, the, I think that uh, I'm hoping that that this book helps change um, what we what we teach and how we teach it, because I've looked so hard at at also how we teach, what are some of the best right. ways to teach. And, and what are the more successful ways that you have seen? Well, that's actually um, interesting. The first is that kids learn from people, um, first and foremost. One, when I was out interviewing um, children with a study that I never did on children and learning, when I got detoured for the last decade uh, to do Mind in the Making, uh, one seventh grade boy told me that he always looked at his teacher's eyes on the first day of school, and and I said, what do you look for? And he said, well, I'm looking to see whether she cares about me and the other kids, um, and I'm looking to see about whether she cares about learning. So kids learn best in a community of learners. I think that's one of the things, that kids learn from people who are learning. It's contagious. Um, Then I've looked a lot at um, memory and what are the things that we remember versus the things that we forget. And we're more likely to remember if we have a firsthand experience, and that's not just for little kids, that's for all of us. We're more likely to remember if we do stuff over and over again. It's it's the repetition that can be drill and kill, but it's it's why your kids, when they're young, have you read the same stories over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Hopefully, you have stories you like, um, so that you don't get yeah, sick I, of them. I, I know, I know. Horton hears her two frontwards, backwards, sideways. Yeah, ten ten uh, <laughs> apples up on top. I can I can start at any point there. <laughs> And um, we learn from things that are meaningful uh, when we're making sense of things. We're most curious about things we don't understand. So not jumping in right away, but letting kids pursue their curiosity to, to, to give them information to help them create natural experiments. If they're wondering what, which ball would roll faster down the stairs, don't answer it right away, but let them try it as an experiment. Um, they learn most from parents who are 
elaborative. Um, they're more likely to remember if we don't just if we don't just say here are the facts, but we elaborate on what we're talking about. We will we'll tell stories. We'll use bigger words. We'll ask questions. They're more likely to remember if we uh, if we ask them to tell us back something. Um, there's a wonderful experiment where kids were were given uh, different kinds of puzzles, the kinds that they might find on a on a school test, and then uh, to see the kids were divided into three different groups: um, one where they just didn't do anything with it, one where they told it to themselves, and one where they told it to um, their moms. And they found that the kids who told what they had done to their moms were much more likely to be able to do that kind of puzzle and to remember how to do that kind of puzzle in the future. So, it, and, and that then, of course, you're saying to me, well, they come home from school and we say, what did you do? And you, they say nothing. So if you ask real specific questions, you can get them to talk about school much better than if you say, what did you do? But did you like the sandwich that, the peanut butter sandwich that we took for school? Or I guess kids are allergic to peanuts. But, you know, the, the sandwich that we took to school um, today or did, um, or what happened when you, when you showed the book that you're reading to your teacher or something very specific that can get them back into the moment. Right. And, and I think, um, you know, you kind of waver as a parent of am I asking questions and being um and being productive or am I being a nag? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, absolutely. And I think as 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 you get older it's, it's it's and as your kids get older it's like you want them to have their independence but you still really want to know what what's going on and I think um I think a lot of parents have the separation between like what happens in school is the school and what happens at home is totally different but there are a lot of takeaways that in what you just said that is, is so helpful just on on a daily thing. Like I realized I wasn't talking enough to my son. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoy I enjoy being with my son, and we have like a not, lot of nonverbal, and he's a much more um, like tactile child. That I, I noticed that his um, his understanding and cognitive abilities were not on the same on the same level as his as his peers and. I take on the blame that I was not um, explaining things enough. And now that he's into four and something clicked in him where he wants to know everything and how it works, mm-hmm. that I find it's much more um, it's much more of an open communication now. And he's much you know, and we have a lot more communication going on and elaborating and telling facts and stories behind what he's seeing and experiencing has completely mm-hmm. helped him as well as me. That's great. So, yeah, that that's been that's been a really huge um a huge plus and 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 trick for me to to learn and to start being open to exploring because a lot of times I would sit back and be like, "Well, I, I don't know what to say." You know, just say something. Uh-huh. Well, when when my daughter was older, I actually had like a book club with her. Um I hadn't read a lot of because I had majored in child development and and uh like you, I had done pre-law, although I didn't end up being a lawyer. And so I hadn't taken a lot of English courses in college. And so when my daughter was in high school and in college, um, I would often read the book that she was reading in school, and like a book club. I mean, not like I'm her teacher and I'm going to stick it down your throat, but just talking about it was so much fun. Right. Well, you can also kind of take the perspective about what she is 
is learning and how she sees the character. Exactly. And, you know, and, and having that experience with her. And I think children are, are much more engaged um, when they know that you are with them, like you said, like you're the, the person that you, um, the child that you were talking to when he walks in and can tell whether the teacher cares about him right. or not. Automatically it's the same thing. Well, if, if mommy's just asking just to ask, then she really doesn't care. But if she really cares, mm-hmm. then I'm not just going to give my three-second parrot response or mm-hmm. mirror response. I'm going to start talking and, and discuss it, mm-hmm. discuss it with her. And I think that that is so key. And um, I came across a quote, which I think is, is really um, exemplary, exemplary of what we're talking about, by Sidney Harris, who says, the whole purpose of education is to turn mirrors into windows. <laughs> Wonderful. I think what the key also with kids is that they like everything to be silly. And so I learned I would also do that. Well, what did you do today in school? Or did you eat your lunch? Or those very vague questions. And of course, I would just get, you know, nods or whatever. They suck their thumbs, so there was usually no verbal. (laughs) And Uh then I learned to ask questions like, did you eat, you know, the squirrel sandwich? And they're like, no, mommy. I didn't have a, like, when I when I when I ask them silly questions, it gets them more open to talk and to uh-huh. no, mommy. And so, like I'll say, did your teacher wear high heels to school? And I guess that's also in, things I do to get them to to pay attention and to, to to talk about stuff. You know, was this one in school? Was this one in school? And then, what's nice is after getting into that routine with them, they would say, no, he wasn't in school because his mommy had a baby. Like. I, 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 it was one thing that I found worked very well this year, to not ask those vague questions, but to ask silly questions. Yeah. Now, we had a game that we played. Um, it's what did you do in school today? What did you do in school today? What did you do in school today, dear little girl of mine, you know, to that tune? And then I would say silly things like, you know, did an elephant come to school today? <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And okay. my kids loved that, too. It was kind of a push push the kids on the swing song. That's <laughs> so funny. I just find they answer questions or engage more when you're silly with them. (laughs) Maybe it's my children. (laughs) But what you're doing actually is a very important skill because you're taking them to the past. Um, We we tend to live in the here and now, and you think about how if you've been at work or gone somewhere and and all and you've moved on, and then someone wants to take you back there, you're not sure you want to go back there. So you have to find ways to get the kids to go back uh, into the past. But helping them go back into the past and think about it and the present and the future um, are, again, something that really does promote um, intellectual development and learning and memory. And memory is the center of the cognitive universe. If you can't remember it, you don't know it. And that's one one of the challenges I have is my is consequences. My son, like, I'll say, do you want to do this? And he's like, no. And then once it's kind of point, like, after the point, he'll say, oh, I want to do that, too. And it's like, oh, how do you approve upon that one? Uh-huh. Consequences, like you have to make your decision and stick with it, kid. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, we're trying to find important. different tricks or tools to get him to understand consequences. And I actually use the word because he needs to understand when he has consequences. So if you name it, he he starts to understand better mm-hmm. when he mm-hmm. exactly. And I think another point you made, which is to give kids choices, but not. Not, you know, too many choices. Would you like this cereal or that cereal? Or don't give them choices where I, I've, 
uh, often heard parents say um, that something's a choice. It's not really a choice. <laughs> you know, would you like to do something? And of course, they have to do it. So, so right. give give real choices, give consequences, and give limited choices. Right. And there's a there's a few other things that I, I want to highlight um, highlight. And one, well, there's one you talked about the lemonade stand, and mm-hmm. I think that is is so is so key because almost every kid at one point in their life sets up a lemonade stand. Uh-huh. Um, but but what do you see as as the most essential skills of children? And I know in your book you talk about. Um, you talk about children who set up a lemonade stand, but not just for one day, but they go out and do it regularly and how they're, they're learning real business skills. Yeah, that. the lemonade stand was a metaphor for me. but I, what um, And it comes out of the research on children in the arts, studies of children uh, who are interested in music or art or dancing or drama or other fields have been found to, to function so much better cognitively. So at Johns Hopkins University, they've had a, uh, brought together a group of scientists to kind of deconstruct that. Uh, the kids who are really interested in, in the arts just do better cognitively. They're just smarter kids or are, or is there something about being involved in the arts that leads to uh, other thinking skills that are that are better, um, and we tend to think of the arts over there as not being cognitive, but in fact there is a very strong link bet- um, between the, the arts and kids learning. And uh, they brought together a group of people to um, to share their their research and then to think about what the lessons learned are, and then they went further to create another symposium um, and uh, about what the implications of this are for education. What It's not just the arts that make the difference. It's that when children are motivated to learn something, when they have an interest, and all children are born with interests in one thing or another, but when they have an interest and they pursue that interest, they um, they actually do, you know, they, they remain oh, my seventh skill, but self-directed, engaged learners. Well, the lemonade stand was my daughter. That's the metaphor for me. My daughter had a lemonade stand when she and her friends, Katie and Alana, were about five and six, and they worked really hard on it. They had to figure out how many lemons to buy and what the recipe was and how much to how much it cost to buy the lemons and the sugar and and then how much that they should then charge for for the lemonade and how much of the profits that they made from one week that they should sink back into their business versus to go out and buy stuff uh that they were saving for and um and they had to figure out how to get customers to stop at the at their lemonade stand and then once they had stopped how to get them to buy um lemonade or cookies or whatever else they had there and um and so it was marketing it was math it was literacy it was you know it was focus it was everything and and they just you know they did it you know they'd sit there these you know hyperactive little kids you know full of energy i don't mean hyperactive i mean you know just really intensely energetic as young children are would sit there for hours at their lemonade stand because they were so involved in it and so my 
feeling is that all parents should look for your child's lemonade stand, whatever it is. With my son, it was music. With my daughter, um, you know, she moved on from lemonade stands, but it was lemonade stand when she was little. She became interested in women and girls, and she always would do a paper on women and girls and whatever whatever they were studying at school, um, whether it was in ancient New York City or, um, you know, the Egyptians or whatever, she was always interested in what was the life like for women and girls. Mm-hmm. So uh, just find that passion and pursue it. Right. Um, I, but I think that the challenge for for parents is letting your child find their passion mm-hmm. and really watching what they gravitate towards as exactly. well as not being imposing. Yeah. Um, and I find it. I find that's such a fine line to to walk because um, mm-hmm. there's obviously things that we want our children to achieve and have and do and be, and then your children can have an entirely different perspective. You know, I, I don't think I'll ever get my child to stop playing with his cars. Um, but recently, I'm learning that that his interplay with his cars are 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 developing and changing, and he started sharing a little bit with me where he used to never before. Mm-hmm. Now he has a whole strategy about, you know, which car is which, which car is dead, which car is shooting the other, and, you know, like he has them all strategically placed in his room where um, at least I know he's engaging in that play, and whether that means he's going to be a mechanic or a war general or something down the line, that, that remains to be to be seen, um, but I know that's something that he gets fully captivated in, so for me to kind of toss them all out the door because I don't like him just playing with the cars would be doing a disservice to him. Exactly. And, and that, you know, cars you can use in all kinds of ways, like let's count all the different kinds of cars when we're on a car trip or let's see whether they're more red, you know, bright colored cars and dark colored cars. You know, you can you can make all kinds of games um, out of cars or let's go, um, you know, to look at all the different kinds of cars on the street. <laughs> you know, endless okay. things that you can do to pursue that. Yeah, we recently went car shopping, and he was having the best time checking out checking out all of the different cars. And um, it's something that my husband says, and, and kind of jokes that that he's going to have my, my my husband is an engineer, um, but he doesn't know a lot about a lot about cars. So he's mm-hmm. saying how he's looking forward to having my son teach him all about cars when he's older. That's you know, so cool. Totally yeah. Yeah, and I could totally see my son's, like, first car being a fixer-upper and him working every day to, to fix it up, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, it's interesting to, to watch your children and where they gravita- gravitate towards, um, you know, and for me it's always, like, seeing the future potential of, of what that means so I can kind of guide them along that mm-hmm, route, mm-hmm. Um, but without completely interfering. And just to just to bring it back again, to, to your book and also your your work in this field, it's for me. It just was so it was just so comforting and helpful to be armed with all of the information and all the research and just know that there are really great minds who are who are really putting wonderful information and and tangible tools out there for parents to um, to, to really help us figure out what what and how to focus on with, with our children um, and to have kind of step-by-step guides. And, you know, we only have a few minutes left on, on this show today, 
but you know, I can't I can't leave this this show without talking at least a little bit about the marshmallow test. <laughs> okay. Which, which is one of the things that you know when I saw it, it just it just cracked me up. And the other thing that people should know that through your website mindofthemaking.org, you also have these wonderful videos which show a lot of a mm-hmm. lot of the tests and a lot of the demonstrations that you talk about in your book. And one of the ones mm-hmm. that I want to do with my children and actually videotape them is the marshmallow test. Can you <laughs> just talk briefly, briefly about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, the marshmallow test is an example of a study that um, seemed like a small idea but has had big consequences, and it's just one of the hundreds and hundreds of studies that I um, share in this book, but share in ways that are fun for parents, and particularly the videos are hysterical. The, the video of the marshmallow test, you have to go see it on mindinthemaking.org. It's it's really funny and, and uh, will make you laugh um, and, and think about your kids in, in whole new and exciting ways. Um, Walter Michelle, when he was at Stanford, um, did a did a, an experiment um, with kids. He gave them... Uh, on a plate, one marshmallow on one side of the plate and two marshmallows on the other side of the plate. Sometimes he used Oreo cookies or other things. But um, the idea was if you can wait for for 15 minutes, I'm going to leave the room, and if you can wait for 15 minutes, when I come back, you get two marshmallows. But if you can't wait, you can ring the bell, and I'll come back, and you get one marshmallow. So it's deferred gratification. It's it's seeing which kids have the self-control to manage to wait for the larger goal in the future rather than the immediate goal right now. And he's followed these kids. The study was done in the 60s when he was at Stanford. He's now at Columbia University. He's followed these kids through um, through the um, into their 40s and has found that the kids who wait had a lot better um, outcomes from better SAT scores to um, more, better relationships to better in school to less likely to get into trouble. Um, now, he says that the kids who ate the ate the one marshmallow, I probably would have eaten all three, but who ate the one, you know, one of the one marshmallow. Um, Now, they're not doomed. Uh, This is a skill, and I think this is the point. This is a skill you can teach. You can teach your kids, um, and, and not by depriving them of marshmallows. You can play little games like asking them to, um, you know, to wait for something bigger. Or, or even one parent wrote in a great story on our website where her child won some to- wanted a toy, and rather than buying it for him immediately, she helped him learn to wait for for a larger um, reward later by putting part of his allowance into this little fund um, to save for the toy that he wanted. Right. Which you know I can I can obviously start now with my four year old and be like okay we're just instead of getting you presents we're gonna put away for your car that you're gonna fix up when you're <laughs> <laughs> I mean fifteen minutes is like is an is an eternity uh-huh. to sit in a room and wait and when you see the video and the angst that these children go through mm-hmm. it's just it's it's hilarious and it is hilarious. You know, I can. I wanted I want to film my whole family doing not just my, my kids but myself and and my husband because there's no other distractors it's the plate of marshmallows you sitting at a table and a bell you know think how you would fare in that and I don't I don't think I can make it I really mm-hmm. don't and mm-hmm. I'm you know and I'm supposedly an adult 
So, mm-hmm. um, so there you have it. I think every parent should, should do the marshmallow test and pick up a copy of Ellen's book, Find in the Making. You can follow the link right on the video show. I have a link to Amazon um, to purchase it, as well as go to our website because we have just really fascinating um, information as well as materials and resources for parents. And, again, the, the videos and vignettes and how you're doing the book as a book which is part book, part videos, I think it's just, it's just brilliant um, from my, my entertainment law side of me. I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful and probably the, the entirely new way that books um, and entertainment is going to be distributed in the future. So I'm really, really glad and thankful and honored that you were joined, that you joined us this week um, on the show. And before we do close out, I would love to ask you our regular um, Come Tell Mama questions, if you're up for it. Sure. Okay, so um, what is your luxury indulgence? My luxury in- indulgence? Mm-hmm. Um, and I should, I should preface the Come to Mama section where this is totally separate from the substantive portion where I want to focus just on you. And I know that you are a working mother as well, so what do mm-hmm. you do that's just for you? Photography. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I love to photograph. I've done it for 30 years. We plan m- most of our vacations around at least some time for me to go out and photograph. Well, if you ever want to spend the afternoon with the kids, feel free. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ellen is also open for photography sessions. Um, <laughs> funny. I mean, we have daily photo shoots here, but it's nothing professional. Um, okay, so which of the following would you choose the best? sex of your life, the best meal of your life, or the best sleep of your life? <laughs> Here's the three marshmallows. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> if, you, if you had to pick one. Hmm. Um, I know. It's not an easy question. Well, sex without a good relationship, I might pick a good relationship over the best sex of my life, but a really good relationship I think I'd pick um, because it's it's through relationships that we can be our best selves and um, so a good a good relationship. I love that. Okay, so what is your favorite movie genre? Comedy, romance, horror, action, sci-fi, period, drama. Comedy. Comedy. When it comes to food, do you prefer sweet or salty? Well, neither, actually. <laughs> I'm not being, I'm, I'm, I, I never was the person who could answer the question the way it was supposed to be asked. Um, I like it. <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> which is why I spent eight years writing a book. Um, exactly. I, <laughs> I like it. I um, I, I we don't eat very much salt, um, and we eat no salt in our house. Although uh, lately I bought nuts with salt in them, and they were good. Uh, and I'm uh, <laughs> hypoglycemic, and so I really don't eat sugar. Uh, I would like, if I had to choose, I would choose really good fresh food. Fresh. We have a vegetable garden, and I would choose fresh vegetables from our garden. Veggies. Okay, cool. And what do you consider your most beautiful feature? Um, there's a joke in our family that I would say my nose. 
um, because I'm always teasing, saying I have a perfect nose. But um, I'm probably my eyes. I think eyes are the are the window into the soul. And the best advice that your mama ever gave you? Keep learning. Keep learning. Well, that you are definitely doing, and not only learning. <laughs> she says you stop living. Can. She said she said um, if you stop learning, you stop living. And she's right. You know, we are we are all perpetual students, and every every single day can bring about a new um, adventure in learning and something to your attention. And mm-hmm. like I said in the beginning, from from just seeing this little pea on the screen and watching just my you know my eldest is four, because this journey so far has taught me so much and has made me relearn so much. Um, so much of what I've forgotten or have almost taken for granted that that I know that now my children need to know. And it is just an endless journey of knowledge. I mean, none of us would be on this, this plane if we knew everything that there was to know. It's just not, not what the earth plane, <laughs> plane is for. Um, and um, while we're all kind of far from angels, it's just, it's just having going through this experience with your children and as a parent and, and now, you know, with you and your children are older and having gone through, um, you know, the grade school years, it's just, you know, I'm sure that, you, that you're learning on your own as well as learning consistently from, from your children. Exactly. And so from, yeah, and so for me, it's, it's that constant circle and cycle and at its that I see with our children is building the trust and building the unconditional love and building that net um, for them to come come back to and feel safe and secure and whatever. And I talk about that in, in this week's blog, P-Brain, um, that for me the happy homework is to keep my children's happy keep my children happy, but I also know in order for them to be activated that I must also actively teach. So thank you, Ellen, again, for coming on on the show and for sharing your information and sharing your background and also instilling us moms with confidence to proceed in a guilt-free manner with our children through their through their building of the seven essential life skills. And I really do think what you've laid out and Obviously, the the time that we have in an hour is not even sufficient to scratch scratch really the surface, and we've just really scratched the surface of what each of these skills really are and what they mean. So um, I really appreciate you coming and giving us basically the the 101, <laughs> the 101 to to our development. And you know, thank you again for the work that you're doing, and may it may it just continue to grow and expand and hopefully seep into our our educational system. Well, so thank, thank you, you and so I'd love any time you want me to come back, I'd love to. It's been a real pleasure to get to know you, and thank you for all the incredible things you do for for all of us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And you have yourself an open invitation to the Mama's Pearls um, show and blog, and feel free to chime in at, at any single time, especially you might want to be paying paying particular attention to how we handle the rest of this month. Next, next week on the show, I'm going to be having um, one of the administrators from our school district come on and talk about the process, and we kind of want to 
get it from the educator's point of view and what it's like. You know, we've, we've all heard so much about how school is such a bureaucracy and to kind of start walking us through what that actually means. And mm-hmm. later in this month, I want we, we're going to be talking to somebody who um, has chosen to homeschool their, their child. Mm-hmm. So we really yes. have a fast, yeah, yeah, we really have a fascinating um fascinating month plan as we're all heading off and going back mm-hmm. to school mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. charging charging the course with, with mm-hmm. our children again. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, you can check on us and, and give us a report card at the end of the month. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. Right. Thank you so much, Ellen. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye. And to everyone. Bye, Ellen. And Happy September 1st. Bye-bye. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Melissa, are you still here? I'm still here. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that was really, really fascinating. And um, I, I feel like we could have chatted with her for at least another hour just going into the work that she's done because it's just so, so fascinating. And there's so many little great gems of information. Um, and this is just a start. And it's the truth is, as parents, we're not, we're not opening up clinical books and, and reading journals about uh child development and education, and so we're not expected to understand all this stuff, so I think it's nice to kind of get just a tidbit or some insight to what kind of clinical tests are done to prove these theories, and just obviously we're not going to put our kids in a lab, but at the same time, if there's a couple things that make sense to you personally as a parent and you'd like for your children, um, then you, you work on it, you know. Obviously, we're, we're I'm always open to... Uh, good advice, or at least, you know me, it's scientifically proven advice is my, like, favorite thing in the world. Right, right, and and this is a really strong, strong source of information for, like, you know, like I said in the beginning, like, both types of parents, like somebody like me, who I enjoy, like, seeing how she, how she threads it all, and you were, like, focused on, okay, where are the examples? <laughs> what, do I, what do I need to know? Where are the examples in the toolbox? And, and, yeah, you and I are not going out and doing all this research, although I feel like each each household is their own laboratory. <laughs> I think Constantly in a working laboratory with our kids. Yeah, and I think what's interesting also is the dynamics of a relationship or a family. Remember, my husband has a completely set of childhood um, memories and traditions or the way his parents treated him when it comes to this developmental stuff versus what I come from. So the fact that you're also raising with two separate historical theories I know one of the things that's important is Mike wished his father had pushed him more to stick with one or two activities. And so to him, you know, when our children take to liking something, whereas I feel like, well, don't force them to do it. If they're not enjoying it, don't do it. He feels like, well, if they just, if I kind of push them a little, they may get to a point where they do start appreciating it. So it's interesting that you have to balance with your spouse um, what you're going to do with your children alongside all these things. So sometimes the science helps, you know, <laughs> helps get your point across of what you think. So I think that's important to play into also. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And um, and let's leave our listeners with that in, as far as um, continuing the conversation with, with your M-Shems on Friday and knowing that this is the start of, going back to school and out of our exploration with what that means and what educating our families and our children means. So um, 
I think I'm sure that you got a ton of good gems from Ellen. I mean, how could you not? <laughs> it's just amazing. So, um, so again, you can look for M's Gems, which will be up on Friday. You can email Melissa or I. I'm at Cynthia at MamasPearls.com and, or Melissa at MamasPearls.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SynTweet, C-Y-N-T-W-E-E-T. The, both of our blogs are posted at www.MamasPearls.com. And again, you can listen to any of the show archives and purchase any of the transcripts through the show archives at www.blogtalkradio.com slash mamaspearls. If you are interested in sponsoring any of our shows or the blogs, give us a, give us a buzz and we will chat about that. So we're gearing up and we're going to take away and make our, all of our, all of our homework happy because what, what else is there? I mean, again, we're not just out to be making a living, but we're out to be setting off for, for a wonderful life for you and your family. So this is Cynthia and Melissa of Mama's Pearls reminding you to enjoy your children and your family. Say I love you. And remember that whatever happens in the home is happy homework. Have a great week, everyone. Have a great one. Take care. Bye, love. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.